so as I was saying just a minute ago, we're going to be getting into today, particularly discussing church discipline. Um, this is going to take two, I've got, got this kind of broken off into two major um, sections. I'm hoping to at least cover, maybe not completely, the first section today, and then um, next week we'll try to wrap things up. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18, if you want to go ahead and, and be turning to Matthew chapter 18. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be discussing church discipline today, um, and we're going to start church discipline um, where I believe most, um, if handled correctly, not all for sure, but many if not most of the issues that we have um, with one another within the church uh, it, pertaining to matters of sin um, can be addressed early on um, so we're gonna we're gonna look in Matthew chapter 18 uh, we'll be we'll, we'll read out of uh, verses 15 through 17 um, if you'll go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. We're going to see a couple of different things as we look through this text and the text that we have to come. So we're going to look at this. Follow when uh, we have been sinned against. We're going to look at some principles we can draw out of this. And then uh, next week... Um, hopefully next week. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the entire chapter. Maybe we'll do it today. We'll see how time works. And we're going to see kind of a practical example of, of this playing out um, in Scripture. Uh, a couple of things that I want us to be looking for along the way um, that I just want to kind of mention before we get started. Fall into two kind of major categories that I would classify this into. One is what is the this is we're going to kind of look at the purpose of church discipline, um, and then we're going to look at the application. So um, three things to be looking at when we when we consider what the purpose of church discipline is. Uh, first, church discipline is for re restoration and reconciliation. Um, this is church discipline is never intended to be something as as it's just punitive in nature for the sake of being harsh to someone. There's always a desire to restore a brother or sister um, and, and, and never to, to ultimately or cast them out. Um, a second purpose for church discipline is to keep sin from spreading. Um, I think oftentimes we overlook this or we don't necessarily consider this, that one of the reasons that um, outward open sin within a church um, is something that Scripture itself calls us to be with is because if sin is not dealt with and it um, by just the nature of it calls those who see it and see it go without punishment to reflect inwardly about their own sins and think uh, less severely about those things to address those things less um, less appropriately. Uh, so one of the reasons for church discipline is simply keeping sin from 
And then a third purpose for church discipline that we're going to see is to protect the church and the honor of Christ. So if we are the bride of Christ and we have sin running rampant openly amongst us and, and we seem to one thing while um, allowing and living in, a, in another way altogether. So um, by do a work of honoring Christ because we make it clear that uh, sin is not something that we accept, right? And um, I pray that none of you who claim Christ are accepting of your sin, okay? That you just, okay, this is sin that I commit, and I've been committing it. I'm just going to give up. If you have a mentality about your own sin, um, I would call you. Never be satisfied that you are not yet perfected in Christ. Okay? Will you be perfected on this side? Dustin, will I be perfect on this side? Should I then, with that understanding, accept then the sin that I find myself in? No, I should be waging war. I should be killing sin. Because if I am not, then sin will be killing me. And the same goes for sin within the broader context of the body of Christ. Um, so th that, those kind of three points, the, the purpose is restoration, reconciliation, that's bringing the, the one who is in sin um, to repentance, uh, keeping sin from spreading and, and moving within the church, and then ultimately to protect the church and to honor Christ. The application of this, and we're going to kind of get into this uh, as we start looking at the Scripture this morning. Just some kind of general points that I want us to consider here when it comes to how do we apply these principles that we're going to see in Scripture, some, some kind of high-level takeaways here, um, is that when we're applying church discipline, church I see this in the text, should always start with the smallest possible. So like, Let's say that, that um, I notice something in Blake, or Blake notices something in me. Let's, let's point everything towards me today, okay? Uh, let's say that Blake sees something in me. He sees a particular action or something. Perhaps he sees me speaking harshly to someone um, in a way that's, that's not becoming someone who's standing and, and teaching, right? Um, what should Blake do? Like, should he go to Dustin and be like, Dustin, I see Landon's acting a straight fool. Like, we should do something here. Is that his first course of action? Should Blake get a couple of his friends together first off and, and have a conversation with them about the sin that he's Landon partaking in and, and then try to discuss with them what's the next best move there? What, what does Scripture tell us? So, and this is one of the principles that we're going to see. It should start with the smallest group possible. Second principle here. Um, when it escalates or when there's a need for this to kind of escalate through the next 
should always escalate in accordance with scriptures until resolution has been made. Right? So, so let's let's say that Blake sees a, a, a particular sin in me, and he follows what scripture says um, for the first step. Right? And then Blake, after taking the first step, it's not effective for me. Um, and then Blake's like, well, forget it. It's too much trouble to deal with there. Scripture would not give you this, this option here, right? Like we are seeking to restore, seeking to reconcile. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is upon us, it is incumbent upon us to desire the reconciliation of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I should desire that you walk rightly. You should desire that I walk rightly. We should hold one another to a higher standard. So um, escalation needs to occur in a particular way that is in accordance with what Scripture says, and it does so until there is resolution. And sometimes resolution doesn't look like what we're going to see. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 21 to speak directly to elders in leadership positions within the church. And one of the things that we're going to see um, when it comes to leaders within a church is we're going to find where you see if, if any one of you were to have issue with any one of the other. Okay? And you were to go to that individual and you were to bring this issue that you've seen or, or, and you're, look, you're seeking to reconcile and you reconcile your issues, I should never know. You should not gossip about it later. There should not be a word that's spoken about this outside of just you and the individual that came together to reconcile these things. Um, when it comes to leadership within the church, what we're going to find is that Scripture is the leaders of a church to a higher standard. When there is sin and there are witnesses, two to three witnesses um, of sin for a person in leadership, that leader is supposed to be rebuked in front of the entirety of the body of believers. Um, so um, open rebuke into re reasons um, for that. So leaders, there is a higher standard that leaders are to in which um, the sin that for an individual like lay person within the church that reconciliation could be sufficient um, because that individual is a leader within the church there is a there is a requirement that we're going to see that that person um, that that person sins not in all their necessarily gory details but um, at least in a in a a sense to establish within the body of believers this trust that leadership does not overlook other leaders' shortcomings and treat them somehow um, unfairly. Um, and and ultimately, I think that we're gonna. Do, I, I ultimately think that we can examine the collapse 
of uh, particular leaders and and ultimately because these types of these types of um, steps weren't followed uh, appropriately um, or things were swept under the rug um, or attempted to sweep under the rug and when it comes to leaders that is never the best option um, I would like I could literally say Catholic Church, and then when I say the Catholic Church, you can think about things that have been attempted to be swept under the rug, right? Um, things that ought to have been dealt with um, swiftly and um, appropriately. So leaders are called to a, a higher uh, a higher standard in that regard. The fourth thing in regards to application of these things that we're going to look at is uh, because we are seeking for repentance, we are With those things being kind of laid out today, I want us to look first at Matthew chapter 18. And um, we have probably 15, maybe 20 minutes um, since we're in here that we'll have to kind of wrap things up. We'll see how far we get. Um, but I want you to follow with me here. Um, I want to ask this before we get started. And I'll, I debate whether or not I ask you to raise your hands here. We'll not, ra we'll not worry about raising your hands. Um, but I, I want you to think about, have you ever had, has there ever been a time, I'll start with this question. You can raise your hand with this question. Who's been in church for more than a decade? Has anybody been acquainted with a body of believers for more than a decade? Okay. Um, for you, um, if you've never had conflict, um, have you been a part of that church? Right. <laughs> uh, if you've been in a church for any length of time, what you will come to realize is that we are not perfect. Um, I'm looking out at a bunch of people today, and and I and our pastor is amongst us, and I'm not looking back. I'm not looking at all of you and being like, "Oh, y'all are all sinners." But that one back in the back is the perfect model, right? Like. You are all broken. You are all being put together by the work of Christ in your lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preached Word, through the taught Word. Um, and we are all in need of um, work. Even today, even me, the one who's standing here teaching this lesson, um, is in need of work. I am in need of brave brothers who will come to me if they see me falling short. Especially if they see me falling short in areas that will embarrass the body of believers here at Mount Carmel. Right? Like, we are in need of those brothers. 
and sisters who will not overlook sin, who will not look at it as well as it's lesser in this regard, so we'll overlook it for today. But we are sanctified by these relationships, right? Like as we're called into fellowship, the church, we affect the church, the church affects us. As we are all together working in the Word, individually, working in the Word, collectively, there is a work that happens by us being around one another. Right? Like, there's a, there, is a, there are many factors why neglecting gathering together as a body of believers is dangerous for a believer. Uh, one of those is that opportunities for us to be refined or missed. Um, if we find ourselves outside of uh, regular fellowship with the church. Um, so as we approach this, now I ask you the question, and this is one not to raise your hands, have you ever had an issue with someone in your church? Don't raise your hand. Right. Um, Follow-up question to this. Did you handle that issue in accordance with the Scripture? Okay. Now I'm going to ask a couple of other follow-ups that are going to that, that I want us to consider uh, when we consider um, one the example that we're going to look at next time that we're together, but also um, have you? Don't raise your hand, because I would imagine that many of you it's going to be hands down, even if you were to raise your hand. How many of you have been in a church that enacted church discipline in an appropriate way as it escalated through the various means by which Scripture lays out for us? How many of you, and this is again, this is kind of rhetorical, don't raise your hand, have seen someone put aside from a church? Um, Now, if you didn't raise your hand, and I assume many of you probably would not if Um, if we were raising hands, say that you've seen someone excommunicated from the church, um, then we could come to a couple of conclusions there, and I want us to ask ourselves which one of these are the right conclusions. One conclusion that we could come to is is that um, we all follow the other steps so, so effectively, and our hearts are so softened by the Word that we repent quickly before it gets that far out of hand. Or... Another situation here is that there are times that the church, for the sake of, I don't know, um, I, I I want to assume that we do it for good reasons and not cowardly reasons, um, that we seek gentleness, um, but there, there is, and Scripture gives us uh, guidance here. There, there are times where it is appropriate for the one who is unrepentant to be brought before the church. Not in a, we're going to embarrass you here, 
type of fashion, not in a this is going to break you forever type of fashion, but as we see in Scripture with a desire that, that putting away will, will cause the Spirit within that person to work in such a way that they will come to true and genuine repentance. Um, but there is a danger for us as a body of believers if we do not address sin appropriately within the church. It can have negative effects. We, can, we could perhaps do it with a heart of grace and the result be a negative effect because our heart of grace was not aligned with the commands of Scripture in this regard. So that we would overlook or look beyond sin that we should be addressing. We do this in our own lives, I think, at times as well, individually. We will, we will not address a particular sin because ultimately at the end of the day, what do we know? What do you know about your sin, believer? What is 100% absolutely true about the sin that you might have in your life that no one apart from you understands? Knows about, considers. That you will stand and you stand today before your Savior, if He is your Savior, completely covered by the work of Christ. And we find ourselves in this tension that Paul in the book of Romans tries to slay pretty quickly. We find ourselves in this tension of, well, if I'm forgiven, then practically we go on sinning. Right? And what has the effect been for your life in that regard? That you grew spiritually closer to the Lord because you continued sinning? So why do we... Why do we think then, if that approach doesn't work for us individually, that if we apply that same approach more broadly to the church, that it will be effective there? That the church will grow because we, I'm going to air quote, show grace and continue sinning. Right? So Scripture doesn't, doesn't give us um, this pattern that we should follow. Instead, it gives us what I would consider to be a pretty simple to understand set of instructions that because of the nature of who we are, oftentimes is extremely difficult for us to apply effect. So, Matthew chapter 18. I'll start in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him... Alone. I'm going to read through the whole thing, but we're going to come back and spend some time here. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, um, just kind of for a little clarity at the, at the end there, um, this is a setting aside, right? This is a not associating with um, this, this final step here. And we'll see this when we 
when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and we look at kind of this practical example that happened within the church that uh, Paul writes to and, and gives instructions in regard to how they should be handling this particular um, this particular open sin that was so open that he, not even being there, has caught wind of it. Um, let me tell you this, at the point in time that Paul not being there catches wind of it, it's gone far too far, right? Um, it should have been dealt with earlier. Um, so the fact that he catches wind of it and has time to write a letter to address it um, shows us that the church at that time was struggling with applying um, these clear... I'm going to read this verse 15, and I'm going to ask you if it's unclear to you what this means to raise your hand. I doubt any of you will. Um, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Is that a hard... Is that hard to understand? Hmm? If I offend you, what should you do? First come alone. And first come alone. So this principle of like... and, and we're, we'll, we'll address leadership separately, but generally amongst the church, this principle of starting with the smallest circle first, there are very practical reasons for this. Um, if I do something that offends any one of you, if I do something that offends you and it's sinful, and you come to me, and you bring this issue to me. There is a genuine reality, possibility, that I did not recognize that in that moment. And that by you coming to me in accordance with Scripture, you save me from a greater fall. You save me from public humiliation. You save me from that sin building up and taking root. And then there's the case. And what would you expect if that if, if it is the case that um, that I that I had a particular action and, and you called it and you come to me directly and you address it as you should um, and what 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 if 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 I'm genuinely a like if I am practicing what I preach quite literally and you approach me like that what would you expect? Humility. And, Humility. And brokenness over it. Humility, brokenness, repentance. 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 It would not just be like lip service either. It would be like an action that you put to don't expect the same from me. Don't expect that I'm going to live somehow perfectly in a way that other believers don't walk on a regular daily basis, right? And if I understand that, if I understand that, if I'm not just saying that to you, how many of you understand that? How many of you understand that you will fail today? 
if you've not already in some regard. Okay? All of us? Then why does it surprise us when other people see it? Because ultimately, the thing that would keep Blake from coming to me would be what happens if he comes to me and, and what I'm preaching and, pra- and is not something that I'm putting into practice? It, it's not going to be a humble response. It's not going to be brokenness. It's not going to be repentance. What is it going to be instead? Defensive. I'm going to go on lockdown pretty quickly. All right? And then Blake, he's not just now started church. He's been in church for a hot minute. Is he going to recognize that pretty quickly? He's going to see me locked down. Right? If, if that's my response to someone approaching me in accordance with Scripture, then Blake had better get a second witness <laughs> to see this hypocrisy and then call me out in front of all of you. Right. Yeah. And there's wisdom that comes in to this, right? There's like there's there is a there is it gives us these requirements that we ought to see play out, but it gives us space in between to use the power of the Spirit working in us. Right? Now, I think we would all agree that if I did something that offended you today and and before you took step one, you went on three years from now, and then you bring it to me, um, the, probably the react probably the, the there's gonna be like, why didn't you come to me sooner? Right? Like, I would have repented immediately. Right, there could be some situation like that, like, or, or I'm like, why are you bringing this up now? Right, like, there's like, like, what did I do? It, there's something else underneath this for you to bring this petty thing up way down the line, right? Like, if you address the quicker that you address it, the quicker that it's appropriate to address it, the better, right? But there is this like freedom with freedom within to like, we all know that like. Years would be foolish there, but is days, weeks, what's right? So there's some flexibility that we would find in there where we're just wisdom and scripture, leaning on scripture for whatever that particular offense might be, um, is going to is going to help guide your thoughts here. But one thing that's not an appropriate response is for you to see it and do nothing, right? Um, for you to see it and look the other way. If you see me falling short, come to me gently. Come to me humbly. Um, point out this thing for my good. I understand that one of the reasons that we tend to fail in this is that that is difficult, right? How many of you like having that conversation? If you do, there's probably a problem. Yeah. (laughs) 
if you enjoy that, then we need to have a conversation. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable. Do you think that something I think that might cause us not to uh, maybe take those make those conversations is that we um, maybe have bought into the way that the way the church is kind of been for the years where people are less personal with yeah. one another. They just come and go to the service and go home. Yeah, you don't know me. One you don't know and me, I think right? The church is so, it's so much easier to have those conversations with somebody that you speak to through the week or that you see. And that's where I feel like, you know, I, I know that in the times I've had conversations or people have had conversations with me. It was because they, I could receive it, and yeah. they could receive it because they did life with me. Yeah, and there's certainly, there's certainly an, an aspect to which the closer we are in community with one another, the easier I will be to receive what you say. Not necessarily the easier it will be for you to bring it to me, though. Because we all know how hard it is to tell someone that we love something that's going to be hard for them to hear. And sometimes the breaking the news part can be easier with people that we don't know, right? It can be easier for me to point your sin out if I don't know you than if I know you and me pointing it out is going to potentially risk some like separation between us. Right? So these things are nuanced, right? These things are nuanced. And, and as we consider the approach that we should take, the fact that it's hard or easy doesn't negate our responsibility to do what Scripture calls us to do, right? I want us to understand that it may be easier or harder at times. But ultimately, whether it's easy or hard, and, and if I'm going to be honest with you, I think most of the time it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Like, living this thing together, living this life in community was never from the onset going to be easy. Right? Um, it's always going to work. It's always, but it's worth the work, right? Like your spiritual well-being is. That's how I should be looking at each and every one of you. The, the, the difficulty that it's going to be, whether it be in the risk of the relationship that we have or, a, or potentially a, a, a separation from a relationship that could have been, there, there's going to be these difficulties, but ultimately, your well-being spiritually is what's being sought after. And at a higher level, the well-being of the church as a whole and whether we handle these matters appropriately. So we're speaking about church discipline, but I, wanted, I want you to note that we're not starting at that high level because much of what might arise within a body of believers as issues can ultimately be headed off one-on-one. One-on-one. 
And, and when that happens, when that happens, those relationships where it does grow closer through it. Now, in your mind, you, you think about the risk of what happens if it breaks apart altogether, right? That's the fear that you have. But when you follow Scripture, what I will tell you is, 10 out of 10, it will work better that way. 10 out of 10. Um, we are here at the end of our time. Um, we'll pick back up in Matthew chapter 18. Um, next week, I want you to be considering that first part because a lot hinges on that. And a lot hinges on our response to that. So I want to leave you with this. There is the you are offended by me aspect of this and your responsibility to come to me. And then there is the receiver of that rebuke in this as well. And there are going to be times that we are the ones that are called to go and to call out. And there are going to be times that we are the one who's called out. We should consider our heart in both of those situations. Um, so we'll close out there and then uh, we'll pick back up kind of with the, it's going to escalate after after this and we're going to look at how scripture escalates these things uh, very wisely.